0: Welcome to Cyberspin, the podcast that brings you expert insights. Subscribe to Cyberspin on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform.
1: Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Cyberspin. I'm Rob Teague, the manager of CMMC services, uh, certified assessor, provisional assessor, all those great things with CMMC for Red Spin. And with me is my Partner in crime, Dr. Thomas Graham, the Redspin CISO, lead assessor, and our provisional instructor. And we are honored today to have with us a very familiar face, hopefully to a lot of you, Mr. Matt Travis, the CEO of the Cyber AB. Welcome, Matt.
0: Rob, thanks for having me. Great to be with you and Thomas today.
1: Awesome. So we'll get things started. So first of all, for those that may not know, if you could tell us a little bit about the Cyber AB, what it is you do, and then you know why do we have the Cyber AB?
0: Absolutely. The Cyber AB is officially the CMMC accreditation body, and we are an independent nonprofit uh, 501c3 organization based out of the National Capital Area. And we serve as the Department of Defense's exclusive non-governmental partner to implement CMMC, the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification Initiative. And when I say implement, and it's in our name, so we accredit all of the C3PO's, those third-party assessment organizations like Redspin, and our subordinate organization, the CAICO, the Cybersecurity Assessor and Instructor Certification Organization, certifies the individual assessors and instructors who populate the CMMC ecosystem. So we're real, really a close partner with the Department of Defense. We, have a no-cost contract with them, and I'm always um, uh, implored to make sure I clarify that anything I say here with you guys today does not represent the policy or positions of the Department of Defense or the U.S. government.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Matt. The real purpose we have Matt here today is because we want to talk about the rulemaking. There's so much conversation going on about this that uh, it starts to get convoluted. So uh, obviously the DOD uh, very busy with what they're doing, trying to get this rule into the hands of, of the right folks and get it on, on its way. So we wanted to bring Matt in so he can kind of update everybody on, first of all, what the rule is, what it looks like, and then how long do we think it's gonna take? So, so Matt, if you could kind of tell us, first of all, the rule is, is going in as a proposed rule. And so maybe we should clarify the difference between a proposed rule and an interim rule.
0: Sure. So federal rulemaking can get pretty arcane. So, We'll try to keep it at a general level to give everyone a, a general understanding of, you know, of the process. But to your first point, federal rules really could have two designations that propose or interim. Think of the interim as the fast track, meaning the government is looking to get the rules into an active and operational status on, a, on an accelerated timeline. Sometimes that's because of the urgency of the, the topic or uh, other factors. And most rules, however, just go through as proposed and have to go through all of the process parts of the rulemaking um, journey before they were actually uh, in place in, in, in the mandate. So for example, CMMC actually has two rules. And this is a function of when uh, Biden administration came in and kind of reinvented CMMC or modified it really, to CMMC 2.0. They created another rule. So the two rules, one deals with procurement policy. That's the Title 48 rule in the Code of Federal Regulations. But the other rule is Title 32, which deals with national defense policy. That's really a good thing for CMMC because it really shows the commitment uh, that the department and the government has to this. It's gonna be ensconced in two rules. And so it's not just a procurement um, uh, you know, it's a, uh, contrivance. It's a real national defense policy just like the aircraft carrier program or other things, so those two rules are being drafted uh, by the rulemaking team, and rulemaking is inherently a governmental function. So they don't ask people like me to, to help out or industry. It's really uh, some government officials and lawyers working internal. Now we get asked questions and respond to RFIs, but this is there's not a whole lot of transparency at this phase of the rulemaking stage. You now what happens after DOD gets finished with writing the rule? They're going to send it up to the White House. So what's called the Office of Information Regulatory Affairs, or OIRA, O-I-R-A. That's an a organization within the Office of Management and Budget, or OMB, and their job is to really uh, coordinate all federal rules that come in. They get, by law, 90 days to review uh, rules. Uh, that What they're doing there is more lawyers are looking at it. They're coordinating with other departments or agencies that might have equities in any particular rule that's being considered but ultimately they'll then publish that rule. And to your early point, Rob, if it comes out as an interim rule, then we know it's on a faster track to implementation, but most rules don't, they come out as proposed rules. So after OIRA puts it out there in the federal register, uh, there's a 60 day public comment period. So folks at Redspin, at the Cyber AB, all across ecosystem, all across the defense industrial base have a chance to read the proposed rule and comment and send comments in uh, for DOD to consider. If it has an interim status, then that rule after that 60 days can go into effect while DOD reads all the questions and responds. But most cases, again, if it's just a proposed rule, they've got to go through all those questions and generate responses before the CMMC rules are active. So if everything holds as is, you know, when the rule goes to the White House, to OIRA, they'll look at that for three months or so. It'll come out two months of public comment, and then, you know, DOD's got to answer the answer all the questions. That could take a while. You know, historically, that could take three months, six months, a year, depending how many comments they get.
1: Wow, that was a lot of information. So a question, um, the rule has entered. It's been uh, kind of tagged as a proposed rule. Could this flip? Uh, while it's in OIRA, or while it's going, you know, through the widgets, could it flip to an interim rule, or does it just stay proposed its whole route?
0: No, it it could change. Again, I'm not an attorney, and but people who are smarter on this than I am certainly uh, express there's a potential for the rule status to change. So you can envision if there's a, you know, I'm just saying this, speculate there's a massive cyber incident, cyber attack that could provide a greater sense of urgency to get CMMC in place. Uh, if some of the concerns about uh, cost or oversight, uh, you know, the, if, if some of the things that uh, might lend themselves to want to take the longer route uh, in a proposed status, if those are go away or new factors come in, they could change that status to an interim. You know, the reason uh, the White House, OIRA, doesn't necessarily always like to give interim status to rules is the whole nature of rulemaking is somewhat extra legislative, right? So Congress gives departments and broad authorities, and in, in certain instances, specific laws are passed to do specific things. But most of the time, these departments and agencies like DOD have a wider um, latitude to execute their mission. And if they want to do something that impacts you know, the public, impacts, has economic impact, then, then they have to go through the rulemaking process because Congress didn't Congress didn't pass a CMMC law. They gave DOD authority to protect their supply chains, but they didn't give them the authority to do CMMC. So the Administrative Act uh, process allows rulemaking to provide more specific uh, details, especially regulatory programs. Those regulations got to go through rulemaking because the public, since their elected representatives didn't get a chance to weigh in in Congress, that public comment period of a rule is the public's chance to influence uh, and give feedback to that rule before it does go into the code of federal regulations and does essentially have the, the weight of a federal of a federal law. So it's not a bad thing for that proposed rule status to have to go through all that. But for folks like you and Thomas and I, who have been you know preparing for CMMC, helping build this ecosystem and understand the imperative of of, secure, of securing the DIB supply chain. Uh, we want to get started. So there's that, you know, you're you're balancing two important things, public transparency and the need to implement NIST 800-171 and and get our DIB more secure.
2: So Matt, what I'm, you know, just from my own layman's terms, since I'm, you know, I just fake it really well. I, I keep telling you guys, I'm not really that smart. What I'm hearing you say is kind of two different things. Well, two things, not necessarily different. First is that, with the with the rulemaking now being put in place to where it's going into the code of federal regulations the cfrs versus just dfars and not only in one cfr but two cfrs this means it is at a higher importance to the current administration as opposed to just putting it into the dfars regulation is that correct
0: Somewhat again, I'm not an attorney on this, but I think eventually the, the CFR language is what allows a DFARS to be modified, right? So eventually, those CFR rules will result in a DFARS rule 7021 or whatever the number is going to be, right? So, uh, but you're right, the, the fact that there are, there are two, two rules a defense policy rule and a procurement rule do speak to the permanence, I think, that the department's looking to get on this. Now, that doesn't mean the previous administration wasn't as committed. They took a different tack of, of one rule, and, and they actually got it through on an interim status because there really was a sense of uh, needing to get this up and running as soon as possible. And so uh, CMMC 1.0 enjoyed that status of an interim designation. And so didn't have to go through the full comment period. when 2.0 came into view, 1.0 was you know hit, the pause button was hit. And because over you know because of some of the comments uh, the department received on 1.0 about cost concerns, small business concerns, and probably most importantly the fact there was now a second rule that hasn't uh, been exposed or hasn't been shared with the public, that's likely the reason that there's not a, an interim designation on uh, CMMC 2.0, but it's Rob. Uh, teed up, that could easily, you know, that that could change. I don't want to say easily change, but it's certainly, um, there's mechanisms that wire that, that could change that. Uh, and what they do every six months is publish the rulemaking slate. And so I think we would know by May, June, if the status uh, of the rule is going to change or not.
2: And that kind of leads me into what my, the second item was that I was alluding to earlier, is that, you know, one of the things Rob and I do, especially through this podcast is we try to we try to help you guys dispel rumors that are going on out there uh, in the community And one of the rumors at least that I know I've heard is that with the change in rulemaking the administration is trying to incense bury the rule or just try to make it go through so many permutations that the dib and the C3POs just throw their hands up and say no I'm not dealing with this anymore. What I'm hearing you say is that that's not the case with it going through the official rulemaking process, And with the steps they're doing, they're looking to take a more permanent step versus, you know, the interim steps that may have been there before.
0: Yeah, Thomas, I think what's in play in terms of why this is taking, you know, it's more of a protracted process than I think a lot of us, you know, were hoping for is that it is such an ambitious program. I mean, this really is the largest cybersecurity conformance uh, regime that has been attempted when you think about how big uh, the Dib is and how many practices uh, are with, are in play here with NIST 800-171. So there really is a need uh, to make sure we get this right, all of us, the DOD, us, you guys. And I think that uh, what you have, and I can kind of draw from my experience when I was in government, uh, that you know, before a department creates something like CMMC, it's not just the CMMC office that gets to determine what this looks like. They've got to coordinate it within the entire Pentagon. And so you have other offices, the, the services themselves, the Air Force, the Navy, Office of Small Business, you know, the environmental, every, there's a lot of different players who have to sign off on how this rule reads. And that's where, you know, that bureaucratic red tape that uh, Washington is known for, unfortunately, comes into play because there's just a lot of people you have to coordinate with. And if one office doesn't necessarily like the way one paragraph of the rule is written, or if they want to add in some new language, well, then everyone else has to agree to that too. So you have, you know, the, the PMO, the program management office for CMC, uh, you know, metaphorically running around the building, uh, trying to clear language and essentially negotiate, um, edits and revisions and additions uh, to the rule. And so, that's what's. That's why it's taking you know the time that it is. But it, so in the long, you know, I think CMMC is really the long game, right? And so um, we want to get started, but we want to get it right. And it, you know, over the long term, the time we're spending uh, making sure it's right will 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 likely be worth the wait. Uh, though I always say, you know, global cyber threat actors are not waiting for rulemaking to finish. They are attacking us every day. We'll continue to do so.
1: Well, and. And that's a great point, Matt, is, uh, you know, the DFAR 7012 rule is still in play for a lot of these organizations that has not gone away. And what what we try to tell everybody when we're out and about or on the podcasts or webinars is the CMMC effort is really just a validation of your what you've implemented for 7012. Uh, would you agree with that?
0: Wholeheartedly, Rob. I mean, and that's what's a bit... Um... Perplexing as as I talk to a lot of the same uh, you know constituencies that you do, who may be pushing back a bit or skeptical that that you know this is something they need to take seriously. Uh, a lot of companies within the defense sector already have those 7012 requirements, and they have by signing those contracts have agreed to implement this uh, 171 and that's really how we got to this place, right? So initially. Uh, when that SETI-12 clause was put into place, that was the requirement, and unfortunately, too many companies treated it like all the other fine print in a, in the terms and conditions of a contract, where you look through. Yes, I've done this. I pay my taxes. I use verify, I, whatever. I do cybersecurity, and DoD realized that wasn't getting it done. So okay, we're going to make you enter scores and you know write your do a self assessment and and a test in an online uh, you know system that puts your scores in. And unfortunately we're finding that too many companies we're not taking that seriously. So then we create the DIBCAC, the Defense Industrial Based Cybersecurity Assessment Center that now has the right to kind of knock on your door and and do a kind of an audit or a spot check uh, called the DIBCAC high assessments. But that's not scalable, right? And so CMC is a long-term permanent answer where you're using the capacity and the innovation of industry to mobilize to meet this demand, to create this ecosystem of assessors and C-3PO's and instructors and practitioners who can first help DIB companies prepare for CMMC and then have the C-3PO's like Redspin come in and do the assessment that provides that certification, uh, that, 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 that validation that that company has conformed to the standard. A lot of people just think of this as another compliance drill, and it's not. It's not a checklist inspection. DoD has set a standard for doing business with them, And companies need to meet that standard in order to be eligible to bid and win on DOD contracts once CMMC is is live. And so I think a lot of times people just think this is just another requirement. It's a heavy hand of government. I I get that. I I certainly understand. But when you think about what's at stake and it kind of comes back to your original point, Rob, I tell folks, step away from your DOD contract. I got to imagine your businesses have intellectual property. Have financial data, have PII, have partner information that you're going to want to protect. You know, just put CUI, FCI aside. Why wouldn't you be implementing what I consider very uh, basic blocking and tackling of cyber hygiene of NIST 800-171? It's you know, CMMC is not asking companies to install quantum computing in their environments. It's not. It is. It is very. And you and Thomas are much uh more acutely uh, intelligent on cyber security protections than i am but it's not asking companies to do the impossible i'm not saying it's a non-trivial expense it's you know it is an investment but it's really looking at that whole corporate culture of embracing cyber security it's not just a checklist of have you installed this or that
2: and you're absolutely correct uh, you know when i'm out in public talking or even when i'm giving the classes that's one of the things that I try to impress on everybody is that an understanding, this isn't just an IT activity. This isn't just an information security activity. It's an organizational activity. So it's it's going to require folks across the organization that may not normally be associated with information security, specifically with the confidentiality portions of CMMC Level 2, to really come into play and understand what their responsibilities are so that way they when they're working with the rest of the organization, everything is actually accomplishing uh, the goals and is occurring how it should be occurring.
0: You're, you're completely correct on that, Thomas, because what CMMC is looking to confirm is that your business has integrated basic cybersecurity protections into the culture and the operating procedures of the business, just like it would for financial responsibility just like it would for physical security, that you're not leaving your doors unlocked at night, you're not leaving cash out on the conference room tables at night. You're not, you know, it's like, it is integrated into how you're conducting uh, your operations as as a company. That's really what CMMC is looking to do. So it's not just an IT, it, and it's not something that just your CISO can uh, deliver for your company. This is not, hey CISO, make sure we get CMMC certified. That's not going to cut it. You're, you're going to find that you're not going to be meeting a lot of those uh, standard requirements in the model.
1: Yeah. So the, the other thing I want to point out is that, uh, you know, currently right now we got the Joint Surveillance Voluntary Assessment Program going on, uh, which is the joint effort between DIBCAC, DCMA-DIBCAC, and the C3PAOs. And I, I do want to kind of put this out there that, you know, the cyber A doesn't have anything to do with that. However, Matt Travis was a big supporter of that with his conversations in the DOD to get things moving, correct?
0: You know, listen, we, we support this because it's, uh, it's needed to get those companies who have implemented 800-171, get them started, get the CMMC movement going, even though it's not CMMC. But more importantly, frankly, from our perspective is authorized C-3PO's, uh, the assessors who have made the investment into CMMC going back, you know, two to three years now, um, being able to uh, start working, to be frank. And I really want to applaud uh, the department, especially DCMA, the DIPCAC, who when 2.0 was announced and everything kind of had hit pause, recognized that they had authorities under the Joint Surveillance Program to utilize the capacity of industry partners uh, to conduct uh, DIPCAC high assessments uh, the, the intent under joint surveillance is that those uh, that are conducted at a certain score 88 uh, i think it will convert to level 2 cmmc so it's a way to start getting the muscle movements of the cmmc ecosystem get going reward those early adopters who who want to uh, participate and if they pass then you know what DoD's intent is that that certification uh, uh window of the three-year certs that that clock doesn't start until cmmc goes live so you essentially participate a like high likelihood that you'll have a longer window of, of certification to uh, to enjoy. so the department recognized the value of this and it's not unlike when you know, you know you get a you look at a DCAA financial audit at least in the past I know they've used private sector auditors to help do those audits when you're DCSA is doing a, a background investigation they've used contract investigators in the past so this is DC. Um, Ma DIPCAC, utilizing expertise within industry for those authorized C3POs to help get the ball moving and, and get the ecosystem working. And it's uh, you know we're looking to continue the throughput, but uh, the initial results, as you guys know, have been promising, and we continue to support it.
1: Yeah, and so you know, for the audience, uh, we meet Friday every Friday with Matt and his team from the Cyber AB to include all the other c 3 PAOs, and these are kind of the conversations we have. And although, you know, the the Cyber AB is really not playing a role right now in the joint surveillance, we are still giving feedback, at least us at Redspin, to Matt and his team on the various, you know, assessments we're doing under the joint program, because I think it's important. It's kind of paving that way for when CMMC comes out, and it's giving Matt and his team a view of what the posture really is out there as we're moving through these. And we're not the only C three PAO. There's other brother and sister C three PAOs that are that are doing the same as well.
0: Right. It's been a it's been a good to see, you know, just kind of getting in there and starting to see some of the trends that'll be helpful in sharing lessons learned to the sector as CMNC gets closer to to going live. And as you allude, there are thirty seven authorized C three POs. I really applaud how you all work together and help us. Identify some challenges, make some recommendations on the you know whole gamut of things within CMMC. We're, you know the program is still being built, obviously since the rulemaking is going on. Well, we're not involved with that. There's plenty of um, work that the AB does getting all the accreditation schemes in place and and getting and getting the ecosystem in a in a you know in, in fighting shape for when the when the game starts for real.
1: Yep. So uh, two last questions for you. One. With the rulemaking, once it hits the hands of OIRA, is there a way that folks can track its progress out there?
0: To my knowledge, no. I uh, know there might be other folks who uh, do really know rulemaking. Uh, to my knowledge, when I was in government and here at the AB, no, that's when it goes dark. And that's when, uh, frankly, once the rule goes up to OIRA, you won't really hear DOD speak at all about CMMC. They've had to lower their public profile because that's part of the you know, process. Uh, they certainly can't speak to anything they're working on. But once they submit the rule, they'll probably go completely silent. You won't hear anything of a Wira, and it won't be till you see that uh, proposed rule published uh, in the Federal Register, I believe, uh, that you'll we'll, we'll all together uh, get eyes on that. And I'm, I don't expect I'll be getting any advanced screenings. I mean, this is going to be it's a very it, it's a very strict process for obvious reasons because it's uh, there's a lot at stake and It's got to be fair for everyone in terms of when um, it comes out. So, no, it's there'll be a dark period here starting very soon where we're not going to really hear much and won't get many updates.
1: No, and that's a great point. Uh, Last week, uh, by the way, a time mark here. This is three March. We're gonna we don't usually put the date on our podcast, but we want to kind of track this as it goes through rulemaking. So we were at KuiCon last week, Thomas, myself, and uh, our vice president for sales of our federal division here. And um, we met with Buddy Dees from the, the CIO office at the Department of Defense. And he mentioned that as well, that that was his last public speaking event. Uh, because as it goes into the hands of OIRA and starts to move through this widget, the DOD goes silent. So I'm glad you pointed that out.
0: Yeah, we will not go silent. But again, I'm not on the inside, so I won't have much to offer other than encouragement for folks to, you know, to continue to work towards implementing CMMC for the ecosystem and continue to get trained and certified and to continue to work on joint surveillance. So plenty of work to do. And you know, the one thing I would say, Rob, is that yeah, you know, the, this protracted uh, rulemaking process that's going to be taking a little bit longer than any of us probably thought going back to last year, there is a silver lining. It is it is giving the dib companies more time uh, to get ready and to implement. There really will be absolutely no excuse uh, when CMC goes live that, that folks didn't have enough heads up that this was coming. You can plenty of skeptics think, well, I don't think it's ever going to happen. And, and listen, I, I talked to... You know, staffers on the Hill. Uh, th- there is there's no turning back when you think about it. Are we going to do, are we going to be doing less cybersecurity now than we have in the past? No, we're going to be doing more for obvious reasons. And so, the I really believe that the third party validation of cybersecurity implementation will be how business is conducted moving forward, not just within the DIB, within all of GovCon, and even outside critical infrastructure you're not going to just take your business partner's word for it that they've implemented uh basic cyber hygiene you, there's going to be a standard whether it's CMMC or other call other standards but but based on 8171 in the govcon world that's my view of where we're all going to end up here in a couple 3 years and uh there's no benefit in sticking your head in the sand and thinking it's not going to happen because there's just too much at stake with AI and IOT and 5G and just, you know, managing digital risk is now a CEO, Board of Directors priority. And even without, um, you know, rulemaking, there is a need for this. And so I think, I think those of us who are in CMC for the, for the long haul is going to be, prove to be a very worthwhile journey. And I. Certainly appreciate all the work you guys have been doing to help uh, get us to where we are.
1: Uh, Well, we definitely appreciate the Cyber AB because we know resources are very limited within your team. And and you guys do a lot to keep us moving as C3PAOs, so we appreciate it. Okay, so last question for you as we get ready to close this out. And as Matt said, this is just going to be his personal interpretation when do you think that the rule will probably you know hit that public comment period and then be ready
0: when will cmmc mandate go live? like when does the the gun go off and we're all starting it will certainly i think be in 2024 whether it's in q1 or q2 gosh you hope it doesn't bleed into q3 but you you know as we think through this year you know, that holiday season is going to come into play and not all, a lot always gets done then. So I, I do think we're in the 2024 timeframe, but I want to, I want, I don't want folks to focus on that, to be honest with you, Rob, because that's like you said on the onset, most companies have uh, prime contracts or subcontracts that have the 7012 default clause. These are requirements that they need to be implementing now anyway. And there's joint surveillance to so go ahead and get your assessments. So Uh, rulemaking is great. We want the mandate to be up and running, but there is um, no reason not to engage in CMMC right now.
1: Awesome. And thank you for that, Matt. Everybody, I think that wraps it up. Thank you, Matt, for just a great conversation and, and enlightening us on this journey that CMMC has taken. For our listeners, you know, the time is now. Don't wait for the rule, as you heard Matt say. We've said this over and over. You've already got compliance regulations you've got. So Kicking the can down the road is only going to make it worse for you. Want to thank you all for tuning in. Keep in touch with us, please, on LinkedIn. You can subscribe to this podcast. Matt Travis has a monthly Cyber AB Town Hall. Please go out to the cyberab.org website and sign up for those. A lot of great information he and his team put out to include from the CACO. So for those interested in training and what we go through as assessors, they cover all of that in those meetings. Keep following along as we continue the the uh, to provide news and updates on the CMMC rule and and the CMMC initiative. But we thank you all for listening. And Matt Travis, again, thank you, sir. We're honored to have you with Red Spin. We thank you for taking care of the whole ecosystem and keeping us moving forward.
0: No, anytime, guys. Enjoy the conversation. Thanks for having me.
2: Have a good one, Matt. Have a good one, Matt. Thank
0: you, guys. Thank you.